I loved you in that yeah. Jewel Thief movie. We watch Being John Malkovich. We are the film fellas. We watch movies that you love, hate, or have never heard of, and then we talk about them. I'm Greg, and I can see and hear everything you taste and smell. I'm Nick, and no matter how hard I'll try, I'll never play Jesus on Broadway. I'm Caleb, and I can't juggle. I'm Robbie, and I watch this movie while drunk. The proper way to watch it. Hooray. <laughs> Let's get into it. <laughs> Like I said, we are the film fellas. This week we watched Being John Malkovich, which was my pick. That movie came out in 1999, was directed by Spike Jones, written by Charlie Kaufman and starring John Cusack, Cameron Diaz, Catherine Keener, and of course, John Malkovich. Let's start off by giving our one sentence summary. I will go first. My one sentence summary is, who puppeteers the puppeteer? Ooh. <laughs> My one sentence summary is what people think the NRA does with our data. The National <laughs> Rifle Association? Oh, no. Yeah. NSA. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering. <laughs> no, it's fine. We keep all of this. <laughs> if you had the chance to change your fate into that of John Malkovich's for 15 minutes, would you? <laughs> I was hoping I was going to take that. That's good. Ravi, what you got? This is what you get when you mix Inside Out with a thriller movie and throw it into a surrealistic blender. Yeah, Fair. that's pretty true. The first time he hasn't said chaos ensues. <laughs> I like chaos that, though. Ensues. Like, Yeah, hijinks ensue. So yeah. this came out in 1999. So... For those of you that are, might be new to the program, since we've never really discussed this, next we're going to go through the plot synopsis one by one, and we're going to do it very poorly, and spoiler alert, because we're going through the whole thing. So we're just going to jump around and let's see how it goes. So this movie opens on a lone marionette in a room uh, in a very melancholy kind of stance, and it starts doing this, this dance of despair and dancing around the room and looking into a mirror and being like, ah, oh, and looking up and seeing its creator. It's the manipulator dancing around. And then we cut to John Cusack, who is playing the character of Craig, in bed with his wife saying, hey, maybe you should get up and, and, and look for work. And he's like, I'm telling you, nobody wants a puppeteer in this climate. She's like, yeah, well, maybe you could get another job in the meantime. And he's like, well, I'll see what I can do. So then he sits down on the couch and uh, watches TV with his monkey, well, their monkey, Elijah, because they have a lot of pets. And so he goes out with his puppets and goes on the street corner and does this uh, psychosexual kind of puppeteer dancing out on the street corner. And this little girl's like, a puppet show! And her dad is like, all right, you can watch. And then he sees what it is and punches him in the face. And he's like, well, maybe I should go get a job, fellas. So he goes and gets a corporate job in New York, New York. And he ends up in this elevator and he has to go to the seven and a half floor so they go in the elevator. Octavia Spencer there is the elevator person. And she's like, seven and a half, seven and a half. All right. It goes up to the eighth floor. She grabs a crowbar, opens the door, and it's half the size of a regular floor. The roof is about like shoulder height, so everyone has to bend over. And he goes into a job interview, and he ends up with Dr. Lester. And he introduces himself saying, sorry, I have a horrible speech impediment, and you might not be able to understand anything I say but he's speaking perfectly. So 
It's like Craig's just very confused about that. But starts talking hmm. to him. He gets the job. He goes into a little orientation room and he's watching orientation about why the ceilings are so low. And it's a really bad story about how a smaller woman comes in and an old rich guy talks about her as she is this like very disabled person and she needs a place for her to belong. And it's very not PC. But then he looks over Craig back in the orientation room and sees a very hot, sensual girl with a cigarette. Fellas. And this girl seems to be in her own world. Her confidence is over-exuding. And Craig is very drawn to her despite being married. So he starts putting the moves on her as awkward as he is. But eventually he convinces her to go, f- go out for one drink. And he gets shot down pretty quickly at that one drink. But later, the next day, he confesses his love for her. Her name is Maxine, by the way. Kind of skipped over that. He confesses his love for her. She shuts him down further. And so he just sort of caves further into himself. But then he finds a portal to Wonderland. Well, it's not Wonderland. It's a portal to John Malkovich's consciousness where you get to see what he sees for 15 minutes and then it dumps you on a turnpike in New Jersey. Fellas. So he wakes up on this turnpike in New Jersey where he just got dropped in the sky by 15 feet and he hitchhikes his way back into town where he realizes that, wow, this, this isn't fake. This is something I can actually go into. And so he goes over and tries to convince uh, Maxine, like, hey, hey, I'm a cool guy. Look at the cool thing I can do. I have this portal. And if you go in here, you can see inside John Malkovich. And she's like, no, you can't. And he shows her, and she's like, oh, my God, I'm here. And then he goes home, and then his wife's asked, like, well, why are you at work so late all the time? And you never come home. And he's like, okay, fine, I'll show you. So he goes and takes her there, and his wife, Lottie, gets in there and, go, and suddenly feels like, oh, I'm in his body. I'm in his skin. I can feel everything he's feeling. And then uh, who calls John Malkovich but Maxine on the phone. And she says that she wants to get with him for a drink. And John Malkovich is like, I have no clue who this lady is and hangs up on. But after a couple of minutes of Lottie going, call her, call her, call her, call her, call her, go meet her, go meet her. It works in his brain. And he's like, oh, maybe I should give her a call. And he picks up the phone and calls her. This is the first time we see that they've affected his mind. Fellas. So Maxine starts this fake affair with John Malkovich, knowing that Lottie is going to be in there. She's like, oh, I kind of find it attractive that you're in there while, we're, while I'm having sex with John Malkovich. But we can only have this relationship, quote unquote, while you are inside John Malkovich's head. So Lottie and Craig are both into Maxine, but Craig is getting none. And Lottie's like, well, I can, I can make this happen. So Maxine and Craig decide, hey, I bet other people will pay money to experience this. So they open up this business after hours where people come and pay $200 a pop to go spend 15 minutes as John Malkovich. Bellas. Craig ends up finding out that Lottie is seeing Maxine while being John Malkovich. And he gets, ooh, he's not very happy because I'm pretty sure he's mentally ill. He grabs a, a gun, locks Lottie in her chimpanzee's cage, and then proceeds to meet Maxine as John Malkovich while she thinks it's Lottie. And he ends up puppeteering John Malkovich from the inside to touch Maxine's boobs while being John Malkovich. Fellas. Maxine eventually figures out that it's Craig in there. And that's about the time that Craig is able to essentially put on the suit of John Malkovich. Whereas we cut then about eight months and 
Craig has used John Malkovich as a vessel to further his puppeteering career and has become the greatest entertainer and artist of the age as this puppeteer. Meanwhile, there's a subplot going on where Lottie discovers that it was Dr. Lester who first found this portal to be inside another, one, another one's consciousness. But he's not really Dr. Lester. He's one of the founders of the building and the seventh and a half floor. And he has a bunch of other friends who have found the secret to immortality by switching from consciousness to consciousness. And they decide that they want Lottie to be a part of it because she seems nice. Fellas. All right. So Lottie is not down with the fact that John Malkovich being controlled by Craig is now uh, with Maxine. And so she decides that she's going to work together with the people who have been hopping into bodies to kidnap Maxine, who's pregnant with John Malkovich's baby, and to threaten Craig that unless he gives up bot or John Malkovich, that they're going to kill her. Of course, they don't really want to kill her, but Lottie actually does. So when Craig goes, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to let her die, she goes, well, fine, I'm going to actually shoot her. The rest of them freak out because they can't kill Maxine because she's carrying John Malkovich's baby, who's the next vessel that they can jump into. So she jumps with the gun that was going to be used to shoot her after Maxine into the portal. And now they're both going through John Malkovich's subconscious. And so now they're fighting and they're going through all these scenes of his really messed up childhood as they fight each other because Maxine is trying to escape while Lottie really wants her out of the picture. And so they both get spat out onto the turnpike. They're in the rain. They're struggling for the gun. They look at each other, and then they realize, wait, wait, Lottie, the only reason I'm holding this baby is because she was conceived while I was with you, and I'm truly in love with you. And Lottie's like, oh, okay, and decides not to kill her. And then they decide that they're going to be together and raise a child. So Dr. Lester and his friends are like, John Cusack, you got to get out of John Malkovich because he's our vessel. And they eventually convince him to get out. And then all these old people go into the portal. And it's on John Malkovich's 44th birthday, which is the time when the people who go into the portal can stay there forever. They won't just get kicked out in 15 minutes. Later, we see that John Malkovich is old with his buddy Charlie Sheen. And he's like, hey, machine. And he's like, hey, Malcatraz what if we could live forever with our wives and all our good friends? He's like, what do you mean? And he shows him the secret room of Lottie and Maxine's daughter. He's like, let me introduce you to Emily. And we see Lottie and Maxine and their daughter having a lovely time at the pool as a happy family. And the last thing we see is John Cusack looking through the eyes of the daughter because if you are in there when they're too young, you kind of get trapped. You can't control her. You're just like an observer, but you can't. You're helping manipulate the thing. Yeah, exactly. And then that's kind of the end of the movie. You get all that, <laughs> audience? <laughs> yeah, that was a long you're lost one. by now. <laughs> so, fellas, before we get into the nitty gritty of it, I would just like to get everyone's initial opinions. Let's start with Caleb. Oh, you, you, you want to start with me, do you? It was random. All right. Well, originally, my one sentence summary was going to be. That moment in Pirates of the Caribbean 3 where there's a bunch of Jack Sparrows and then the real Jack Sparrow just says, Gentlemen, I wash my hands of this weirdness. And then he jumps off the ship. That's kind of how I feel about it. Initial reaction, I'm in general just weirded out. I think it, it starts it weird, a, it continues it weird, and it ends weird. And I don't get it. 
maybe we can help clarify that yeah, with our discussion. Maybe so. Is it is it deep? Is it like a dark comedy? I don't understand. <laughs> After I watched it, I started looking on like these summaries and they're like, oh yes, a, a puppeteer finds a portal where he can control John Malkovich for 15 minutes. I, I'm like, yeah, that's what it's about. But like, what's it really about? What's Caleb going went on? to the British internet. Yeah, I, I always go to the British internet. What <laughs> <laughs> are your initial reactions? Oh. <laughs> I'd really like this movie. I first found it while watching a Cinefix video on YouTube. And it was about like weird ass movies. So I was like, ah, being Jamak, but just watch it. And it's a, it's a trip and a half. And then rewatching it, honestly, like you can keep watching this and just get the same experience. It is very nerve wracking and really plays with people's emotions as far as like the characters go. So I really enjoy it. And John Malkovich is amazing when he's Craig Swartz. It's good how he could play the different iterations of who's inside of him. Mm-hmm. Robbie, what was your initial reaction? I liked it, but I found it to be kind of obtuse just because. Uh, I like surrealist stuff, but I don't always track with it well. And so I kind of had an idea that something was going to happen. So I made sure that I had some whiskey beside me. And so after about 10 minutes, 15 minutes in, I was like, okay, this is a whiskey movie. And I just was drinking while I watched it. And it was fine. I liked it. Definitely the more trippy aspects were better while I was watching. So this was Spike Jones's first feature film he had done a lot of music videos and shorts before this he he really threw himself into this charlie kaufman now has a lot of introspective type movies adaptation is about him and there's a part in that movie where they're making this movie it's very interesting so yeah it was it took a long time to get this script made because everyone's like oh this is a great script but how are we going to do this no one's going to want to produce this. We have to get John Malkovich involved, which took a long time. <laughs> but I like how it's a very grounded story because I had heard that Charlie Kaufman just kind of took two separate scripts that he had and just mashed them together. One was a story about a guy who falls in love with a girl who's not his wife and uh, another story about a guy who finds a portal into John Malkovich's brain. And that's kind of what happens. He smashed those two stories together. Imagine my surprise going into this movie thinking it was a documentary. I have heard other people <laughs> say that, that they thought it was a documentary based on title alone. Yeah, just like being John Malkovich. And I'm like, well, I've heard that John Malkovich had quite a few roles and he was very respected. Maybe it's like s- some sort of dramatized documentary. And, and nope. Did you like him in that Jewel Thief movie? You know, I probably haven't seen that Jewel Thief movie. <laughs> At the time, he had not been in a Jewel Thief movie. <laughs> I figured that was probably the joke, but it took me like two goes because at first I was like, oh, that's Con Air. They're like, wait a minute, he wasn't a Jewel Thief in Con Air. <laughs> I just like that they keep bringing it up. Yeah. It's, a, it's a good uh, motif. Is that what they call it? A motif? Yeah, or like, a runner, I guess. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I like to think um, that they meant Red, which didn't come out for a couple more years. But I kept thinking about that movie. Remember they brought up uh, The Jewel Thief. Not a good movie, but like Jewel Thief. <laughs> it's a Jewel Thief movie. <laughs> Who wants to start us off? Anybody got anything they want to bring up? Yeah. There's a John, lot to talk about this movie. So The first thing I want to talk about is how grimy they got John Cusick to look throughout this whole thing. I didn't, oh, yeah. I forgot that it was John Cusick playing Craig 
And for the longest time, I'm like, I know this actor, but he looks so gross. He looks like Billy from the It like miniseries. Yeah. And Lottie, too. Yeah. Like, they got Cameron Diaz, who was a model, to look like a normal, schlubby person. Yes. That's what I was more so hair, like, the better. Why would Craig leave Lottie? It's Cameron Diaz. <laughs> but if you put know, a man. bunch of hair in front of her face, you can't tell. Yeah, mm-hmm. baggy sweaters. Mm-hmm. I think that's the point of the movie. Is like a bunch of with a, Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's people with a bunch of hair finding out what it's like to be someone who has almost no hair. I think we, that is the thesis of the movie. We're done, fellas. What you Got recommend? It. <laughs> it's just the hairstyle makes Show someone over. so unappealing because when John Malkovich adapts his hairstyle while Craig is puppeting him, he looks equally as gross. It's not a good look for either of them. I wanted to pick your brain, Greg, on your, uh, your expertise in the art of filmmaking. I wanted to ask you about the actual puppetry in this. It seems to me, in my amateur eyes, that there are some stop-motion shots in this. And I wanted to ask you, is that true? Did they use stop-motion for the puppetry? Not as far as I have read. It seems like it was all marionettes. They got really good puppeteers. But some of it almost seemed like actors in full-body costumes. Mm -hmm. Because some of the movements are so fluid. I believe during the Swan Lake part, when it wasn't two sections of it, the dance was an actor in a full body costume just because it had so much weight on the ground when he was doing um, a, a flare kick that mm-hmm. there's no way with uh, how puppetry works that there'd be so much weight on his left leg. Maybe he's really good. He's like, what are you doing with that puppet? I'm making it cry, but you're not crying. <sighs> when John Malkovich is teaching his puppetry class. <laughs> he's I the like Chekhov that. method. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of puppetry, I am a big fan of how the movie opens with that dance that he calls the dance of despair and disillusionment, where the puppet is like looking in the mirror and it's just this despair and he throws the glass and breaks it and he, he looks up and he sees his puppet master controlling him and he just does his melancholy dance. And then later when he's controlling John Malkovich and Maxine says, hey, will you show me some puppetry? And he's like, yeah. And he, he does the dance of despair and disillusionment again, but this time as John Malkovich. And it's the same thing. He looks into the mirror, he shatters it, and he dances around. And it's, what do you guys think of, of the two uses of that? Good body I, doubling. I, I'm going to talk now. <laughs> Good body <laughs> doubling on the John Malkovich backflip part. It was very smooth and didn't really look like too much of a cut. Yeah, the body double looked a lot like John Malkovich from the times they put him in there. So we have the two mirror, mirror images come up a lot. Smashing the mirror is really important. And part of that is just the fact of like when they see themselves, are they actually seeing each other or are they not actually seeing each other? So when they did that callback, I really liked it because ever since the beginning, he was telling Maxine like, hey, I want to show you my puppetry. It's, you know, it's really important to me. And she's all like, you just play with dolls. I don't care about dolls. And then when she's like, oh, sure, you know, I'll watch it. All he's doing is playing with a doll. It's just a larger one, which kind of throws her previous statement to a different light because it's like well she you know why is this any different than the other yeah which gets into the idea that this movie plays with control and being controlled and when craig is is playing with his craig and maxine 
marionettes and he's like oh the idea of puppetry is is being inside someone else's skin and and seeing what they see and feeling what they feel and that's what they end up doing to john malkovich a lot of it has to do with being in control and being the one that is controlled and that power dynamic but also wanting to be someone else because you don't want to be yourself being the controller but not wanting to be you Mm, it's pretty deep but where does that put John Malkovich, though? He's just being controlled and having no control over his own life, even though he wants to. Mm-hmm. John, he like John, goes- Malkovich, John Malkovich is the opposite side of John Cusack's coin. Because John Malkovich feels, and we get a little, when he goes through his backstory, when we see his subconscious, we get that backstory that he doesn't feel like he's in control of his life. As rich and famous and happy as he is, He's being controlled by these thoughts and visions in his mind rather than what he wants to do. John Cusack, meanwhile, has all the freedom. He can go to work. He can sleep in all day. He, you know, he has his problems, but it's the opposite side of that. He wants to live vicariously through John Malkovich. John Malkovich just wants to control himself. And at no point do either of them really get what they want. Yeah, John Cusack is not happy with his life and who he is which I think is why he dresses all gross and stringy and everything. He lives in this small apartment with all these animals. He's clearly unhappy in his marriage. And his escape is this puppetry. And once he finds a new life that he can take control of, he finds that I would rather not be me. I would rather be someone else. But I want to be in control of this new life. Have you ever felt that? You ever wanted to be in control of someone else? Because there's like a whole line... It's out the door and around the cubicle at uh, JM Inc. And those people are not like able to take control. They just want to experience Malkovich mm-hmm. life for 15 minutes. Is that something it, you've it ever wanted? Like, yes, I think everyone to a degree. I, it's, a, it's like a commentary on escapism. People who follow celebrities and celebrity lifestyle, people who watch you know, like TMZ and E and trying to figure out what's going on with people. Or people who read books try, to try and escape into some other world. All it is is vicarious enjoyment through someone else's experience. It's just taking it to a more metaphysical level. But the line out the door of these people, like you said, they can't control anything John does. This is just a very interactive movie. That's all it is for them. It's the ultimate form of escape from the world. Like we watch movies, play video games, listen to music, just take a break from reality. This is taking a break from your own reality completely and living someone else's. So just, uh, it doesn't matter if it's John Malkovich or anyone else. People would pay the $200 just to go do it, just to fully leave their life behind for a while. And this movie came out in 1999, where a lot of movies at the time were exploring similar ideas. Because 1999 was a great year for movies. Fight Club had a similar thing where they're talking about escaping their corporate button-down world. The Matrix came out talking about escaping from the world to see the real world. I think a lot of the cultural zeitgeist was about escape and let's not forget getting to be your true self, but also getting away from the self that you don't like, you know? And let's not forget The Phantom Menace came out in 1999. I will forget that. Well, come on. It's like like the escape into your childhood. And me. Because I was 99. <laughs> but um, their business practice really isn't that profitable. I did some quick maths here. 
So Ooh. assuming they're at a nine to five job, they can start doing their business at five o'clock. John Malkovich being the age he was, 44, probably their going time to is bed. from 10 p.m. to 4 a.m. That those are their business hours. That it says it? in the movie. Yep. Oh, I did not pay attention to that. I was doing from five to 10 because, you know, he's an older guy. He wants to go to bed on yeah. time, wake up for his Broadway role. But yeah, let's hear your math. 10 to four yeah. is six hours. Yeah. Six hours. So, oh no, quick math. That's another $800. So they'd be making $4,800 a night, which for New York business isn't amazing. But I feel like they could have charged way more because they only have people going in for X amount of slots and they know how long it is and they don't want to add more people. So look at the line they have. They could have raised their prices to like 500, maybe almost a thousand dollars. You say make that mm-hmm. money. You remember this was 1999. And I think that they had everything not gone pear shaped. They probably would have raised their prices eventually. I think they were initially like, well, let's see if we can get people in at all. If Maxine wasn't a little fox like she was, they could have had some good money. Yeah. Let's get into the, the idea of we have our two characters, Craig and Lottie, and they are much more reserved and quiet. And we have Maxine, who is just this confident, balls-out woman who knows what she wants and is just like not afraid to take advantage of situations and just go and make things happen for herself. What do you guys think about that dynamic and John Cusack falling for her initially just based on looks and then Lottie kind of falling for her once she's been inside John Malkovich. And that's a good thing to bring up is she was like the idea of desire being the object of desire and seeing the desire and being the desired object while I am that object. It's a lot of objects in the air. I think it's a very good performance, first of all. It took maybe about like 45 minutes into the movie where I was just sitting there wondering, what's Maxine's deal? Like, she really is acting all by herself, like all in her own interest. And it took about 45 minutes for me to get there. And it just all clicked like, oh, I know, ex- I, I get her. She is a huge contrast to Craig's character. Craig tries to first hit on her by talking about, hey, so I was thinking about what you said yesterday about, you know, living this corporate life. And she goes, wow, that's the best way to get into a woman's pants is to talk about that. But then when she calls John Malkovich, she goes, my favorite quote of the movie, my nipples are at attention, sir. She really throws herself out there without any hesitation. And just the contrast of her having all the power in the relationship between Craig, Lottie, and her, the really crappy love triangle. It really shows that what she says, if you're a person who goes out to get what you want, you're going to succeed. And the people who don't push themselves to get that are, you know, no one cares about them. Exactly. Which brings me back to my, my question earlier about power and control and wanting to be in control, but also wanting to be controlled and controlling the one who is controlled. Like Craig has that line when he's talking to his marionettes of, of Craig and Maxine. And he's like, it's the idea of, of being in someone else's skin, feeling what they feel, seeing what they see. And he imagines her saying, do you want to be in, inside of me? See what I see, feel what I feel? It's like more than anything. So there's that kind of thing of wanting to be someone else. And Lottie, once she 
first goes into John Malkovich is like, this is crazy. I've never felt anything like this. I felt more confident. I felt more alive. I felt more of who I am. I need to do it again. You know, it became an addiction. And she almost, she's like, I think I am at the time said transsexual. I think I'm transgendered. I want to explore this. So do we want to get to the part where four cisgendered heterosexualist gentlemen speak about transgender issues? Yeah, four people who uh, I believe have absolutely no right to talk about this. Uh, Let's talk about it. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I I think the way they did it was sort of interesting because you got to actually experience what it is like to be a man. Luckily enough for her, her first experience is John Malkovich rubbing a towel on his balls. You know, it's a pretty sensual experience. For he keeps it dry down there. He does. Yes. Like, I, I don't know about you, but in the shower, I dry my hair first. That's just me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, he doesn't really have hair to dry. Yeah, it's more so, of a little chrome dome up there. I don't know. He could have done shoulders anyway. Yeah. So she comes out and is like, "I think I'm transsexual." I don't know if. It was her thinking it through necessarily or the fact that she finally felt that maybe this is her awakening moment of being like, I feel more comfortable in John Malkovich's body than my own body. And it could have stemmed from her not being happy in her marriage, not being happy with her life, just living at home with a bunch of animals. But besides that, it made me a little unhappy or uncomfortable when John Cusick immediately looks to demean her or discourage her from pursuing any sort of not like transition surgery but just to even like stop her from inquiring about it with a doctor and it shows well this movie isn't very pc as they like talk about the r word much of the times they talk about disability a lot and it's played off always for laughs but again yeah. this is a different time we have cancel yeah, culture, very yeah. pc culture now that was 1999 where edgy humor was on the rise <laughs> and it didn't age too well it depends the way you look at it Certain words didn't age well. I feel overall, I, I think their attempt was interesting. Robbie, what do you what do you think? So my thoughts on this, because they do bring it up and they kind of touch on it, like you said. I'm a little cagey about it just because from the direction that they were going, because of the way the movie was set, it was not... I don't think it would be fair to compare that to her actually wanting to try and transition because we're looking at it through vicarious enjoyment rather than her own internal journey, basically. I do think that John Cusick way overstepped because he was basically like, oh, absolutely not. You know, no way, because he's trying to control her, which is a separate issue entirely in their relationship where he's constantly trying to dictate what she does Mm -hmm. because of control. Exactly. Greg's thesis. Yeah. (laughs) And so I don't know if it's fair to really bring this in as her watching that as much as because it's only brought up for that portion of time i, I, I think, think it, it was a, the, the the time the time that this was made it touched on it but didn't want to actually touch it so it did a quick brush off yeah i think it speaks to her character overall because in the beginning she has that line have you given any more thought to us having a baby and then i think when she went inside Malkovich. She had this, like, I have the ability to to create life, you know? And so I don't think it's so much that she wanted to be a man. She didn't want to transition. It was so new that she didn't really have the, the proper frame to put it in. But I think it had more to do with her 
self-actualizing, you know, and understanding that there can be desire, there can be, she talks about how Maxine was like, I love the way Maxine looks at me with such desire, knowing it's me in there. And I think that helped really flesh out that she was unhappy in her life and she didn't know what it was. And that's what led to Maxine and Lottie getting together and ending up ultimately happy as a couple with a daughter. It's almost like she tried to put a label on it as soon as possible instead of sort of sit with the emotions and then figure out from there. Yeah, because everyone who comes out of John Malkovich is just like, this is great. I, 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 I'm freaking out. I don't know how to process all of this. And I think that's what she was doing in the car. But John Cusack's character, Craig, was not a good sounding board. He was just, like you said, shut it down. Yep. She I need to be a... in control. I'm the puppeteer. This is my story. <laughs> and she's his puppet. He, he thinks throughout the entire film that Lottie is just his puppet to do what he wants. Literally has a puppet of her on the wall that he doesn't do much with. Mm-hmm. Yep. Before we go into more philosophical things about this, can we talk about how bad they are as business owners, given the people who leave John Malkovich are in a state of euphoria? They could have put a mattress down or provided them with a wetsuit so they don't ruin their clothes all the time. And also, that's New Jersey and they're in New York. At best, it would take 30 minutes to get there with the traffic. Let's say it was at least nice that he picked them up. Yeah. yeah, but how was he getting there <laughs> you're right. in 15 minutes? So That's away. insane. <laughs> yeah, they did sort of play fast <laughs> and loose with the with the transport rules. I think they should have just gotten a bus. Be falling into the ground with no mattress. That's part of the experience, though. I'll give him that one. That's a 15 foot fall. Like I broke my leg by <laughs> a broken body. Off my bed. It's gotta snap you back into consciousness, I guess. <laughs> Maybe. That's one way to do it. My final Nick pick for this movie is Dr. Lester talks about how he's been doing this for 90 years and there is no way he has the data or have been able to test any hypotheses of why it has to be his 44th birthday or you will be trapped as a child if you go too early or too late. He does have data. He, when Lottie goes to yeah, no, talk no, to but, Dr. But Lester, how? he has books. Books that this is not the first time that this is happening. <laughs> this is not the first phenomenon. It's, he has books and diagrams that say this is what happens. How are any of those tested, though? Because if you become the child and no consciousness, you can't go back and write that. You're an observer. <laughs> yeah, how are you going to tell I anyone? Submit. assume this has been happening for years and years and years. But you still can't test it. Yeah, I'll give you that one. Uh, that's a tough one to, and they sort of just yada yada with like, ah, oh, yes, books. And that was Nick Picks. Oh, it was a funny movie. It, it had it, you know, it was very philosophical and a funny movie, but really the best parts were the small background gag. I, I love them. Like the secretary and Dr. Lester, that whole etymology gag where it's like, yes, I have that horrible speech impediment. No, you don't. I have to take her word on this one. I love that entire bit. So we keep bringing up the secretary character for those of you that don't know. She Uh, has a bit of a hearing impairment. It may or may not be selective. But when Craig first shows up, he's like, I'm Craig Schwartz. He's like, oh, Mr. Juarez. No, (laughs) Schwartz. I have no idea what you're saying. And that's kind of a runner throughout this whole (laughs) movie, too, is that she just kind of mishears things just ever so slightly. Yeah, I uh, that was one of the first things I wrote down where 
it's one of those jokes where you don't quite know where it's going because I didn't quite have a handle on the tone of the movie yet. But like when Dr. Lester did his bit like, oh, I have this terrible speech impediment. <laughs> that did kill me. It was my first indication like, oh, I think I see where they're going with this. <laughs> There's a great joke at the beginning during that part too, where he's like, which one of these letters comes first in the alphabet? Because he's, he's applying for mm-hmm. a filing job. He's like, uh, the symbol on the left is not a letter. Damn, you're good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like I, horrendous Amber Sandstein. <laughs> and they definitely set you up really well as an audience member to think that the one on the left is going to be something important. Because yeah. thus far, it has been a weird 15 minutes where this weird guy goes to a weird job interview and meets weird people. And then, like, the first bit of normalcy is the, oh, damn, you're good. Yeah, and the best part after that was when he was shuffling the papers really, really quickly. And uh, he picks up the phone and goes, all right, I need you to call Guinness. Uh, because he's making a joke about Guinness Book World Records. She's like, calling Genghis Khan Associates. And he's like, thank God she understands my speech impediment and hangs up. And it's, so I'm thinking like, wait, did he actually mean Genghis Khan Associates? I know that's a joke, but I just explained it. The world may never know. Yeah. What's up with John Malkovich not eating the edges of his toast? That's the best part. It's the crispiest. He eats everything Maybe but the he edges. He was full. I don't know. He does it's, do it's that. creepy. But no, it's not when like he Craig first goes in there, yeah. Is he has three corners already eaten, which is the crust out, and then he eats the middle. That's uncomfortable yeah. to me. Maybe it represents that he is still a child at heart because kids don't like the crust on their sandwiches. And he was also like in the inception sequence talking to himself like bad John Malkovich, bad. I would also like to say that during that first bit when Craig first goes into John Malkovich's consciousness and he's eating the toast and drinking his coffee uh that audio is horrible oh, no, it's, it's just, perfect have you ever heard the audio yeah, i mean head? no so <laughs> first the audio quality is perfect the mixing pristine what they're accomplishing is making me like cringe harder than anything ever before because that is one of my pet peeves as a person is hearing that and being able to hear the sound of chewing and slurping so intimately hurt my soul, just like puns hurt Robbie's. You didn't sign up for the ASMR of the film. It's opposite of ASMR. Like, whatever the opposite of ASMR is, it's that for me. If you do listen inside your own head, everything is much louder. You've just learned to tune it out. Mm -hmm. And even little things like him rubbing his hand on his face is, yeah, heightened, but that's what it would be, especially if you were an observer and you weren't the one able to tune it out yet. Yeah, so I'm not bashing any of the people that worked on the sound. They did a great job for what they were given to do. But what they were given to do was to make sounds that make me, make my skin crawl. Yeah. I love the mixing of John Malkovich's audio during that because you don't hear yourself the way you sound. Like we re-listen to these podcasts and we sound totally different than like what we perceive ourselves as because we hear our voice behind us. So the way it travels differently. So to hear it, like, you, you know it's his voice, but it sounds a little muffled and not fully clear on his side was a great indication of, like, you really are observing through him. Yeah. Should we get into the scene where John Malkovich goes inside his own head? Yeah. Malkovich. Malkovich? <laughs> Malkovich. 
because uh, I wrote it down. It happens at an hour and seven minutes even. That was the part where I gave in to the madness and all I could think about is, okay, I really want to know what happens when John Malkovich goes in his own consciousness. And I was just disappointed. for you. Yeah. <laughs> so John Malkovich finds out that Maxine and Craig are selling these rides into his head. And he's like, I want to do it. It's my head. I get to do it. So he goes in there. And what he sees is that everyone is John Malkovich. And the only thing they say is Malkovich. Yeah. That was the scene that made me watch the movie in the first place was Cinefix posted like they talked about and then like you could see it's only John Malkovich. So I was like, is this movie only John Malkovich talking to himself? And then it totally weirded me out that there's this whole other plot going on. And I just wanted to see John Malkovich talking to John Malkovich with boobs, taking an order from John Malkovich as a waiter, talking like Malkovich, Malkovich, Malkovich. It starts with a POV shot from the neck down of a lovely young lady with uh, some ample cleavage. And as it tilts up, you see that she has the head of John Malkovich and everyone else in the restaurant has the head of John Malkovich. (laughs) I like to think that the reason he was so freaked out was because he was attracted to himself with boobs and he's like, this can't be right. I think if you ran into a whole bunch of yourselves, you'd be freaked out too. Especially like seeing my head as a baby, that would freak me out. That's some surreal cinema. Ooh. By that point in the show, I was pretty tipsy, so it was much, much more funny because I was trying, I was trying to like make out where everything was going, and I was like, "Is it, is it going to be Malkovich? Is it? Oh my God, it's Malkovich in like in the in the menu." And then I had the tax, which is Malkovich, Malkovich. I think at that point, I just couldn't stop laughing (laughs) just when it says gratuity, (laughs) and instead of gratuity, it's just Malkovich, 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 fifteen percent. I like to think that when people go into his head while he's sleeping, that's what they see. Because what if that's like almost a lucid dream that he went into? Like fully conscious lucid dream because he went into his own subconscious. Mm. For their business hours, John Malkovich doesn't apparently spend a lot of time sleeping. They're going to bring up that hours. same thing. Go from like, like 10 to 4. But uh, he's up. He's about. He's a hard working fella, you know? So yeah. Vladi calls Maxine and says, I need to see you again in Malkovich. And she's like, great. After business hours, meet me at 4.11. And Malkovich is awake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in he a never full suit. sleeps. I guess not. He's, he's like the rock of the 90s. He only sleeps for a half hour each day. Wait, what? In real life, the rock sleeps about four hours a day. That's and then like horrendous. takes like tiny little naps during the day. It's oh. something you can do. It just takes like months to acclimate to the lifestyle. Yeah. Yep. I, I saw a BuzzFeed video on it and it sounds I've heard horrendous. that's more, it's better for getting things done and being productivity. Yeah. yeah. And it's better for your body. But like you said, it takes so long to yeah. do that. Those few like, months that are just hell. Mm-hmm. It also yeah, destroys it, your social life. Yeah. yeah for that trying first, to like organize around it. Yeah. For that first yeah. bit. But after that, you're just the most awake person ever. And I guess you get swole, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's It's a, the sleep, right? That's what makes them so big? That's it. Yeah. Uh, obviously. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. For the audience at home, <laughs> just hibernate, and you will come out looking like... No, don't fire. hibernate. Yeah, don't hibernate. Just sleep you Stay awake. You get mad swole. Mm-hmm. Oh. Uh, for legal reasons, these are jokes. <laughs> for non-legal Please reasons, do not sue us. Don't do it. <laughs> Robbie, is, is it about that time? Is it time? It's time. Hey! Nick, right. would you lead us in, please? 
Now it's time for Robbie's themes. Okay, so what do we got, I Robbie? Pre- Give us I themes. Very excited because we've already touched on the aspect of control and what you being controlled and who's controlling. But one of the other ones that I really liked was being stuck. So it's kind of like the lack of getting what you want or the lack of fulfillment. So in the beginning, Craig wants to have his God created the heavens and the earth. Yes. But uh, he rested. He he wanted to get his career off the ground and be a puppeteer that everybody admired because he's really good at puppeteering. He's really good at controlling things. The problem is when he's on the, when he's on the couch with Elijah, he sees this famous puppeteer that's puppeteering this giant Emily Dickinson puppet off of a, a bridge. And he's like, ah, that's what I want. Yeah, it was, he was so mad about that. And the, the funny thing is, he's so good at controlling these dolls, but he can't control himself. He has no agency in his life whatsoever, even though technically he does. He just doesn't choose to. He chooses to be stuck in this cycle. Because Lottie gives him out in the beginning, like, you know, honey, maybe in puppeteering isn't for you right now. Let's try something else. But instead of trying that, he's just like, no, I'm going to do it because I want to do it. And that's what we're going to have to do. Which is I'm most a puppeteer. Movies, yeah. And in most an movies artist. and shows, you're rooting for this underdog. You're rooting for the main character to achieve that dream through their struggles. The problem is, John Cusack doesn't do that. Fred doesn't want to struggle for, for what he wants. He doesn't want to fight for it. He wants it given to him. And so when he's wants the girl but can't have her when he wants to control his wife but can't control his wife instead of changing himself and growing as a person he finds a shortcut a literal shortcut into somebody else's brain and he puts all of his chips in that basket and we realize wait this is not a good character this is not the guy i want to be rooting for he's not this plucky underdog he's actively making decisions which are ruining the lives of multiple people and I just find it interesting because it goes into that lack of fulfillment. He could, if he wanted to, he could go and work somewhere else and then get a side job, but he doesn't. And so it's a personal failure on his part. I think that's like what we were talking about before, where he wanted to, to be in control, but he didn't know how. And I think, yeah, like you said, he let his lack of ambition control him for so long. Mm-hmm. And he's perfectly willing to let Maxine control him because as the Craig character, he doesn't have that agency. But once he starts taking over John Malkovich's life, he feels that agency. I guess it's just the greatest thing in the world to be John Malkovich because everyone is like, this is great. I need to do this again. I need to <laughs> live this life. It's that self-confidence, yeah. man. You can feel it. And the thing is, it's a shortcut. It's not even... It, you don't yeah, it definitely didn't work, work for it. it. And what I like is that it, it's hammered over and over again that this is not, this isn't right. <laughs> like, as much as the characters love this, it's an addiction. They become addicted to it and they keep wanting to go back, which again is, uh, I think, a commentary on how addiction is the opposite of agency. Your agency is taken away. You're addicted to the alcohol. You're addicted to the smoke. You're addicted to the drugs. In this case, you're addicted to being someone else, quite literally being John Malkovich. So the theme of addiction, I think, is done really well because as the show goes on, I mean, he wasn't, they, they weren't set up to look nice in the beginning, but they really fall apart as far as their outfits, their clothing, their attention to their animals. 
all that falls apart as they become more and more addicted to the point where Maxine is sitting on the floor with her baby listening to music in the middle of an open, empty space with nothing there for well, that leads me to something I want to talk about is existentialism, which this movie goes into a lot, just exploring the, their existence and their overall being. In the beginning, when Craig is talking to Elijah, the chimp, on the couch, he says, you're so lucky that you're a chimp because you don't have consciousness. Consciousness is terrible. I think, I feel, I suffer. Yep. So sad. And it really foreshadows what his choices are going to be. Because it starts out where he gets this job, he goes and tries doing these things, and it's because he gets this out. He accidentally finds this portal to make everything easy, and he takes it. It would be, I think, similar to somebody who goes out ready to get a job. Everything starts to see, like, maybe things can improve, and then they get hooked on meth or heroin. And then they see their life fall apart. That's how life goes. I know, yeah, I, I know I like darker themes, but I mean, <laughs> that one's right out there. Yeah. It's like if meth could make you super rich and famous for a while, though. I think what I really got from this is when you throw away your like aspirations and dreams, that's when your life takes a downturn in a way. Because Lottie makes Craig get a real job instead of just only focusing on puppeteering. Maxine ends up extending that because she may for basically forces Craig to stop going after her in a way because she picks Lottie as Jamalkovich, be it. But that's where they both start like going in a big downturn overall. So my main point from that was giving up on your dreams basically begins the downturn of both people's psyche and their overall happiness in life and cause them to do drastic measures in order to fulfill the void that's left from not being able to pursue their passion. That's interesting. So you think that you should pursue your dreams in a more pure fashion because he eventually with the shortcut does become the biggest puppeteer in the world. He's a really good one turns out. And I think that he's kind of begins where he ends, where he's perfectly happy, just kind of existing after a while because he's sitting there in his couch. He's like, Hey, they're doing that expose on me. And he's just kind of sitting there all brr. Mm -hmm. (laughs) For me, him becoming a puppeteer as John Malkovich was the chance he got because he was finally validated by Maxine when he does the puppet show with John Malkovich's body. And she's the first one to give him like feedback of that was actually amazing instead of Lottie talking to how it's not worth it to pursue it or the um, gentleman who punches him in the face. And it even gets to the point where Lottie's example of why he should stop economically is the same thing he says to her when she wants to have a baby. He finally Mm -hmm. gets that realization and gets it like stuck on him. So he can't move past it, but being able to have someone validate you pushed him to continue it. Given he does have John Malkovich's body and his you know, reputation to go off of as the launching bad, he still had the talent himself. I don't really have a response. I, I, I think you're pretty spot on. I mostly agree. Yeah, this is just me yeah. validating my, um, my major change from economics to theater and dance through a movie. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, let's talk about the character of Maxine. Like we said earlier, she is the tough as nails, like self-confident one. But mm-hmm. she is also the one who won't open up in the bar when she's having a drink with Craig. She throws around the, the F word a couple of times, not fuck. <laughs> and she, she feels like she has to be this big, strong, like I said, self-righteous character. But once she manipulates her way to the top by having Craig take over John Malkovich and basically controlling him and his life. And she gets rich and powerful and does whatever she wants. She finds that it's not fulfilling and she ends up falling in love with the woman. So what do you guys think about that? Yeah, she's a, she's a trash person, even though they're all kind of trash people. Yeah. yeah they're they're in, all maybe. very bad people. She does end up like almost redeeming herself in the end, but she was very driven by like passion and, she goes after what she wants, as she explains, which is why she goes after Lottie only as John Malkovich or when Craig becomes John Malkovich, he, she neglects Lottie overall until the end. But she's just, I don't know. Well, I think that was, again, she was like, oh, that was Lottie in there. I knew that was you. I liked that that was you, but I don't know how to express that yet. So I need it to still be between a man and a woman before I have the time which once she gets pregnant, she's just like, oh, I have the time to really sit with my own thoughts and be like, oh, I actually want to be with Lottie. I don't want to be with another man, you know? Hot lesbian witches. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, In the words he, of the great Charlie Sheen. But not that was nowadays. That was the biggest laugh of the movie for me. <laughs> she's like, I think I'm going crazy. I, I, I just don't know what to do, Charlie. And it pans over and it's Charlie Sheen. He's like, you're not crazy. And with the benefit of hindsight for the last 21 <laughs> years, that was hilarious. Maxine's bad because she takes off with the joint when she was invited over to dinner and they both confess their feelings to her. She like gets up. She still has a joint in her hand and she walks out. Weed wasn't legal in 1999, New York. You had to buy that off the street and she just took it. <laughs> That's expensive yeah. back then. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> My, my thought on Maxine is that she's an interesting inversion of Lottie in that they both have similar journeys of self-discovery, but they're from two different sides. Again, totally. kind of like how John, John Malkovich and Craig are two sides of the same point on their side. Maxine and Lottie are both going for a journey to find out what they really want, but start off from two very different zones. Lottie feels like her lot in life, you know, Lottie's lot in life is to <laughs> live with Craig and tend to all these animals. And she wants to care for things. She wants, she wants to have a family. She wants to grow as a person and get in a better lot in life. Her husband, however, wants nothing to do except a quick way to get what he wants. So, their journeys aren't intersecting at all. They're from two very different bonds, which already spells doom for their relationship. But Maxine starts out, she's powerful. She's got the money. She has the look. She has the control over the situation. It's all in her court, basically. The ball's in her court. When they go out for drinks, she knows that, you know, she knows the lay of the land, and it's her choice like what happens. Well, they both flip in the end, where now it's Lottie's choice. Lottie could shoot her. And she chases after her until the end where the, the gun is right there and they're pointing at each other. Lottie 
comes to the conclusion that what she wants is she wants to be with Maxine. And she grows into that going up, whereas Maxine basically says, I don't care about these witches. I don't care about what should be considered, you know, the top. I want her. Huh. So when I was watching that part, it sort of seemed to me that Maxine being the the force of nature that she is and how self-serving she is, it sort of seemed to me that she was just trying to save herself by, you know, saying that the baby's hers and that Maxine wants to be with Lottie. It seemed as if she was being insincere. And I think that there is an argument to be made that she's insincere the whole way because she's just, I think she's the most overtly selfish character in the movie. But I don't know. It seems like three of you are pretty convinced that she's sincere in wanting to be with Lottie, which I think is totally valid. But just that was my perception. That's fair. I, I think it's pretty evident at the end when they're at the pool with their daughter and they are just together as a family happy. They're, they're not shown bickering. They're not shown being like, oh, she wants to go swimming. I think she needs to wait this long. I think she needs to wait this long. They're both like, nope, let's uh, have a fun time with their tickle test. And it takes the time to show their daughter looking at the two of them, looking lovingly at each other, really enjoying their being together. But you see that John Cusack is seeing through her eyes and he's miserable. He's like, look away. I just want Maxine, look away. But he has to sit there and suffer and watch as the two of them are happy together. Yeah, which it just seems that from the onset of that, it came from a place of insincerity. But it certainly ends in a, in a very wholesome place for the, the three of them collectively. Not Craig, but Emily. Who cool. else got stuff to say? <laughs> Yeah, why do they have a chimpanzee when they are low income in New York? I want to because know. he has childhood trauma, and they're trying to make him feel better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's so, definitely not the place for mental health rehabilitation. They're taking him to the therapist to deal with his past trauma of he couldn't save his his <laughs> parents from being that was caught dark. By <laughs> I love the fact that it's canon that his name is Elijah. Yeah, like, like how the heck did they figure out <laughs> his name was Elijah when his parents like Look, Lottie Elijah? has this connection with these animals. She knows. So is she, she a veterinarian? Be quiet. She works at a pet store. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. It also I get it, foresh- it also foreshadows in the beginning because again in the beginning we think this guy is going to be the good guy, or at least I did. Like the, they the were protagonist. Trying, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, they were trying to lay that foundation like this is your protagonist good guy but um even in the beginning some of the signs like when she's like oh yeah you know his his wound is still not healing and he's like oh which one he doesn't doesn't even know the names of them and mm-hmm. it's not like it has a, it's just only been a day but it's been something that she's repeatedly told him and so whereas normally you'd be like oh that's just the protagonist being forgetful it's like oh no he really just doesn't care about anybody but himself mm-hmm. uh, i will say that i'm very happy of the direction that the movie goes because for the first 10 minutes it really sets up like yep we're just going to follow craig who's a hopeless romantic about his art and i was not ready for two hours of a guy (laughs) 
Yeah. It, it's a pretty good bait and switch. And it's for the better, I think. I heard it described oh, yeah, it as soon awful. as he finds the portal, there's a new twist every 15 minutes from then on. Yeah, probably. Just about. I have faith. Caleb, do you have anything that you want to discuss that... Do I have anything I want to discuss? Um, we pretty much brought up everything, or I brought up all my notes. I did want to say that like, there were three big laughs in the movie. Uh, one was Dr. Lester's speech impediment joke. Second one was John Malkovich going to Charlie Sheen for the help uh, that he was losing his mind. And the third one was, I forget which time, but... It's when John Malkovich and Maxine are, are, are getting rowdy under the covers, as it were, and Maxine calls him Lottie for the first time, and John's, did you call me Lottie? Oh, yeah, d- do you mind? No, not really. <laughs> and that was perfect delivery. I, I cannot do justice to that delivery because it was just perfectly timed and well, well said. It's very funny. I had a big laugh, this perfectly in Maxine's character, where John Cusack takes over John Malkovich, and she's like, oh man, let's have sex on the table and make him eat an omelet on it afterwards. (laughs) (laughs) Another one with um, Craig Bean and John Malkovich. John Malkovich tries to take over for one second, and then Craig just finally gets back hold and goes, shut up, you overrated sack of shit. (laughs) Yeah, John Malkovich Malkovich had to say that. Well, there's a slice of humble pie for you. You're reading the script and, oh, so that's what they think of me. Apparently, John Malkovich liked the idea, but he wanted them to rewrite it for someone else. Like, if you rewrite it for someone else, I will write or I will produce and direct. And Charlie Kaufman's like, no, I want this script. This is the script it's going to be. Huh. And they eventually got John Malkovich to agree. Yeah, it took a couple we of years. We have this too. wonderful piece of cinema. Yeah, totally. I had to bully him. Peer pressure. Do it. Do it. Yeah, that's interesting. He does seem like a pretty good target for, I say target, but like a pretty good subject being a well-respected actor of the 90s who has this stage persona as well. Because if you do it... Yeah, but he wasn't like, quite a superstar. So mm-hmm. people would be like, wait, who's John Malkovich? Right. Isn't that Jewel Thief movie? Yeah, wasn't that Jewel Thief? <laughs> that Jewel Thief movie? But like, if it was like Tom Cruise or Robin Williams, it would have been a much different movie. Um, People kept pitching Tom Cruise being Tom really? Cruise. Okay, I didn't, and, I didn't know. No, that's, like, that's exactly. Most people would have gone to that, and they're mm-hmm. like, no, we wouldn't have, we wouldn't be able to explore the same dynamic yeah. if right. it was Tom Cruise because John Malkovich, as a person who is as he's portrayed in the movie, is a a self-confident and righteous actor who's well-respected by everyone he meets. Whereas yeah. uh, Tom Cruise at the time was, he's known for doing his own stunts. So like it would be a different dynamic where people are signing up for 15 minutes of thrill rides while he's riding his motorcycle. Or yeah, doing I feel like he's a huge star. It would have. <laughs> right. He would have got a little less tension though, because he's a Scientologist. So That would have been a whole other thing. Yeah. They jumped in him. <laughs> <laughs> one thing while well, reading the IMDb page is John Malkovich claims that he played this role as a fictional character as anything else and the only thing he kept was his wardrobe which is pretty cool in a way that 
even though he is himself and the whole point is like he's John Malkovich. He took it as to make a whole new character just based on the theme of the film or the overall yeah. film. And I think you would have to as yeah. an actor because if you're going to say things like you overrated hack about yourself, you kind of have to have that distance. Yeah. There has to be a defense mechanism in there because, I mean, if you are playing as yourself in any type of role, you're going to be very self-conscious more than normal. And when you actively have to be like, oh, no, I'm, I'm going to tell myself I'm a horrible person. And they're having these ridiculous scenarios where he's twitching and like fighting the control of Craig while trying to maintain his own self control. Mm -hmm. And like, you would have to be like, yeah, I'm not playing me. I'm playing a fictionalized version of me. Yeah. Also all the Malkovichis, the Malkovi in his head. (laughs) Malkovich, Malkovich was. Malkovich, Malkovich, Malkovich. Malkovich? It's like saying Smurf. You can make it whatever right. as long as you change the tone. Well, I was wondering about that because it didn't seem like they changed tone too much, but you can definitely make a whole language out of just the word Malkovich depending on intonation. Like mm-hmm. the waiter does. He looks at him like, mm, Malkovich. When he writes down his thumb. <laughs> like a good choice kind of, oh, Malkovich. Malkovich! <laughs> 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 a little fun fact. Speaking of like when Cameron Diaz looks totally different than what she usually does, she would walk around on set and half the crew wouldn't even like know who she was. Like, who are you? The stranger. <gasps> it's Cameron Diaz. Like, no, I'm in this movie. She could have kicked that door down when she was in the chimpanzee enclosure because those thing, those cages are not meant to take um, pushing force like with uh, by pushing from both sides because animals aren't very adept to like thinking hey if i apply force on my back and push my legs at the same time it generates more force than just pushing on the door itself he's a monkey he's got opposable thumbs yeah no but like humans are able to get out of that mm-hmm. cage very easily yeah for- and being cameron diaz she is very fit by working out she <laughs> open that there was cage. a there was a good setup where earlier in the movie she had taught the parrot, help, he's putting me in a cage as a joke. And the neighbor's like, shut up! And then later, oh, she's yeah. literally oh, screaming, right. help, I'm being put in a cage. And the bird is screaming it too. And the neighbor's like, it's the fucking bird again. Shut up, I don't want to hear this. <laughs> there was such good foreshadowing in this film. Yes. In retrospect, that's quite a moment. But at the time, I was watching it and just thinking, well, this is awful. I don't like this at all. This is just the weirdest thing I've ever seen. And also, I don't feel good. <laughs> Robbie, you got more stuff to talk about? So, Elijah, I think he's an underrated character in this film because I think the fact that you have a lot of stuff going on about jumping into these different minds and these different types of creation, and I think it actually touches a little bit almost on not evolution per se, but like personal growth through what you're going through. So, the scene where you go into his flashback and you see him with his parents and not being able to untie them and that type of thing. Yes, it's mostly played for comedy, even though it's a plot device, uh, dark comedy. But if you move forward from that, it's just, an extra, it's just a microcosm of the journeys that both Craig and Lottie take. Because she starts off having no agency. She's literally a monkey. Like, what is she going, or what is he going to do? Yes, you can try and untie them, but he's scared, he's frightened, He's just this little animal. And so that's the trauma that he's working through. And he goes through this flashback 
and he has this chance to save Lottie. And he goes through the same, he, he does the best growth arc of any of these characters. Because while all the other characters, you could say, oh boy, they made some horrible bad decisions, you know, of, of their own choosing. The only character in this film who made good decisions and had a happy ending was Elijah. Elijah <laughs> finds his agency and gets past yeah. his childhood trauma. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I didn't think about that, but you're right. Elijah is my favorite character in this movie. My I like that the audience goes into Elijah's head like the characters go into John Malkovich's head mm-hmm. and like sees through his eyes in that flashback. Uh-huh. Fun little dynamic. It's at about that point in the movie where you realize like, wow, we've had a lot of POV shots. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, speaking of shots, my favorite shot from the movie was when you're first in John Malkovich's POV and he looks at himself in the mirror, which what I'm assuming is that was a window for that shot because it wasn't imagine like, it have to be, quite yeah. the right angle, but just the amount of set they'd have to build just for that shot. Mm-hmm. To me, it was like pretty impressive. It was like, hey, that's just pretty neat. Yeah, and the hands in front of the camera matching his hands. Yeah. That's yeah, really that's, cool. Uh, oh, yeah, Greg, I did want to ask, how did they do the Malkovich, Malkovich, Malkovich scene? Uh, uh, how just did they, head replacement. Was, was it that good at that time? Yeah, they, nobody was doing anything crazy. Okay. I was watching the the woman. She has like a necklace. If you look, you can see a little bit of the seams, but it's it's pretty good head replacement. Huh. Like I said, no one's moving too crazy much. Yeah. The heads are all pretty static, and it's all very well planned out. Because mm-hmm. like uh, Matrix Reloaded was going to come out like a few years after this, and they have like their big head replacement. And I, I, I kind of think that this scene looked better. I thought it was layering. Like layering, like a bunch of different takes of John Malkovich doing this thing. Yeah, but I mean, having his head on a woman's body would be a head replacement. And having his head on a baby and everything. Yeah. And then... Because it was well-planned. It wasn't action-y. And for people who are turned around, you just need people with the same head. Remember, the Matrix had come out this year, and that bullet time shot is shot on a green screen. All that background is replaced and it just mm-hmm. looks real because we had, if you used it well, it can be used. But if you use it to replace everything, I'm looking at you, Star Wars Episode One. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. <laughs> hey, they didn't replace everything. Those waterfalls are salt, I think. They are. Yeah, they're, they're like salt falls. I and mean, that was Lord of the Rings. I know that. but mm-hmm. And an amazing movie known as The Phantom Menace. Yeah. Pinnacle of culture, that. Hey, Robbie. Yeah. If you were John Malkovich, let's say, and then you go into your own consciousness and just everyone is you and you mm-hmm. spend like quite a long time there, would you say you would have a hard time knowing, Malko, which one you are? Ow. <laughs> Ow. And that. 1.5 out of 10. Ow. Uh, <laughs> oh, God. Yes. Oh, why do they so do you this? You were going to ask if it was just going to be like on the town, but with all Robbies. Just a bunch of sailors <laughs> singing and dancing. <laughs> you're actually just singing in the Navy instead. Yeah, mm-hmm. but it's all Robbie. It's all. That's Robbie's favorite Robbie, song. Robbie, Robbie, Robbie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, God. Ooh, one accident. I'm going to haunt my nightmares. <laughs> 
<laughs> one accidental joke they did was Dr. Lester says Schwartz has grown too powerful. And I took that as like a Spaceballs reference as his Schwartz is too strong. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> I was like, maybe. Ah, yeah. <laughs> totally unrelated, but to me, mm-hmm. deep down, I was like, yes. Fellas, I would like to know, would you recommend this movie? And under what circumstances? Let's start with Robbie. All right. So I would recommend this movie. I like it because it has different, it has all those journeys together and it mixes them well. I do think it's a little surreal for most mainstream tastes, maybe. So if you're up for a wild ride, go ahead and watch it. If you're a little bit more trepidatious, go get yourself a couple shots. Mm. Caleb. Um, sure. I- I'd recommend <laughs> this movie under the specific circumstance that someone asks, what's a, what's a trippy movie I can watch? Being John Malkovich, that's a, a weird trip. The new twist every 15 minutes, uh, that seems like a very apt, I don't know if it's a theory or if it's just a fact. Either way, it's apt. Yeah, it's a weird movie that I really cannot see myself watching again in the near future. Are you Uh, glad you saw it the one time? I'm glad to have seen it and talked about it with you fellas. Because that's what I was getting at. (laughs) I would recommend this to anyone who likes Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind or Train Spotting. It's just on those lines of very trippy. You can find themes in it, just movies that you can enjoy and discuss like philosophical aspects of it. And John Malkovich is quite good. Clearly, I would recommend it because I recommend it to all you fellas. I think it it has a very surreal concept, but in a very grounded kind of movie, it takes place in actual reality with these magical realism parts thrown in there. The acting is really good. The cinematography is great. If you want to have a, a trippy existential time, check out this movie. Yeah. Hey. So that was our discussion of being John Malkovich. Next week we have Nick's movie. Nick, what are we going to watch next week? Next week we're going to watch West Side Story by Jerome Robbins and Robert Wise. Excellent. Ooh, that will be a good time. No, uh, I think I've one. seen this one. I have two. The one's coming out this year, allegedly. Mm-hmm. Allegedly. I have not seen it. Supposedly. <gasps> All right. That'll oh, be fun. boy. Spoiler alert, Robbie. There's themes. Ooh. Are there? Oh. <laughs> like, how much money can I we make, make off of? I will make themes if there aren't any. Yet? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, look forward to that episode next week. Feel free to watch along with us. And please follow us on all the social medias. At Facebook, we are Four Film Fellas. And on Instagram, we are Four Film Fellas. That was our discussion. Everyone have a good week. We will see you next time. Bye, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye.